Hello and welcome to the 23rd episode of the Top 250 Podcast. I am Sam Kane, and today our film came out exactly 30 years ago. To this day, February 14th, 1991, Silence of the Lambs was released. Kind of messed up that it was released on Valentine's Day. With me today is a usual guest, Brian McCuller. Hey, Sam. What's Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome back. Doing another 90s movie. I think there's kind of a theme going on here. You know what? I'm okay with that. Keep them coming. Yes. Now, you said The Matrix is the dope shit. You said you wanted to show it to your son as he gets older you may not want to show him this one right away when he's young yeah uh, you know i'm gonna give him some time on this one you know i'm gonna have to hold off with his mom she's gonna want to show him this film before i am she's into psychology i mean she's a psychology major uh bachelor's degree two master's degrees in psychology so this is up her alley more than it is mine still a fantastic film that i was happy to watch yeah this is the second time I watched it, actually. I just watched it again this weekend. So, let's talk about a couple nitpicks. One that stands out to me is when we're first introduced to Hannibal. Really awesome scene. Love it. My nitpick is the, they're playing uh, music over the end of the scene and I thought it would have been so much more effective if we just had no music at all I just wanted to hear Hannibal speaking with Clarice it's towards the end of the scene when they're both talking like the music just kind of blares in I mean Howard Shore great composer but just did not need that right there I, just I have to agree with you there was a lot of information that was thrown at our main character Clarice and effectively the audience at the same time and we had a lot of tr trouble picking up the specificities the specific information uh, that was being conveyed by Hannibal and you know it was a puzzle that was important to actually grasp what he was saying uh, Clarice later you know uh, figured it out and told us what the puzzle was and then the answer at the same time so i think it lost a lot of the effect that it would have had a little bit of you know mystery there between what hannibal said uh to clarice and then when we arrive at the conclusion uh, we didn't get that experience we got oh that was a puzzle that he said oh okay well she's just explaining it to us now so i, I think we lost a lot there you know with with the other prisoner briggs griggs what was his name? Doesn't matter. He was yelling. Uh, the music was overpowering, and I, I don't know. I guess she got close to the, gla the glass. Maybe they wanted to hype up the suspense there, but I think the dramatic irony was already there. Like, the audience is like, no, don't get near the glass. They said don't get near the glass. And then she puts her face up to it. You know, it's just, it was there. They didn't, you're absolutely right. They didn't need the music. Yeah, it, it kind of takes you out of the movie. Yeah, they could have used something else, maybe like uh, water dripping or something, since they're in like some kind of underground uh, room, whatever. I don't know. 
there's there's other ways to do it, but that that was just one instance where I was like, man, why are they doing this right now? Come on. They should have hired you. No, I I mean I would have I would have been too young. I was only one years old. I wouldn't. Have been. Yeah, you you absolutely wouldn't have made the cut. Just yet. Yeah, growing up, I always wondered what the deal was. What's the deal with this? Because I I saw the cover of the movie. I would see it at the video store. It's called Silence of the Lambs, and there's some kind of bug, a, a moth, on the cover, and I never understood it. I was like, what? okay. And then as I get older, I hear about who Hannibal is and that he's a cannibal, and it's like, all right, why is it called Silence of the Lambs? Uh, why is there a moth on the cover? You know, I yeah. should have just watched the movie, but, um, you know, I finally did when I was in high school. And it all makes sense now. You could maybe argue that this could be called Screaming of the Lambs. That's hilarious. Absolutely. And I, it bothers me that this is that little snippet of the story is what drove the name of the movie. I'm not, I, I don't know if it was the name of the book that it was based off. Um, do you know? Yeah, the book was actually called Silence of the Lambs. Like you can really it bothers tell, me. You can really tell that they that this came from a book. Like I'm yeah, it's I'm, it feels like it's missing information, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Th- I just imagine seeing these um, blurbs throughout a book. Like it, it's not really the way you'd see a movie screenplay arranged especially that's that's correct yeah well the end i mean you have to pick a a stopping point of when the good movie stops and when the bad movie starts you know I, i feel like when the senator gets the last piece of information from hannibal on on the hand cart that's when the well no his escape was really good Maybe after Hannibal's escape, it stopped being a good movie. And then it turned into a tight quarters suspense film. You know, sort of like Siskel was saying. Uh, Gene Siskel, who hated this movie, gave it a very harsh review. (laughs) Yeah, my God. So you sent me the link to the Eber and Roper original review. It's cool that you can watch all their old reviews. But, yeah, he was way off on this one. He was probably pretty pissed when this won all the Oscars. Yeah, I mean, to continue to be a movie buff in, you know, it's tough to watch the Academy make choices that she blatantly disagree with. We continue to bring up 1998 and Shakespeare in Love versus Saving Private Ryan. I will continue to harp on that mistake. It was difficult to continue to have respect for the Academy when, you know, they're making obvious flubs with their choices, right? I don't think that Siskel was correct with his... uh, opinion here saying that this movie was you know uh overstated and uh he he used terms like grotesque (laughs) you know i mean just no respect for the film whatsoever um but when you have that kind of opinion and and then the academy awards it five oscars that same year and you just go back to continuing to speak highly of the oscars i don't know i i I couldn't follow it that way you know i've i've lost uh a little bit of respect for the Academy, and I would say that it's lost a lot of credibility over the last 20 years. That's my TED Talk. 
Oh, it definitely has, because they can be bought, it sounds like. It sounds like they can be wooed. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much what Harvey Weinstein did. That's why Shakespeare loved wine. Because, Ugh. yeah, that's why Life is Beautiful one, which I just covered, which isn't a terrible movie, but it sounded like they would conveniently arrange all these parties and invite the Academy members and it's like uh, that seems like it's breaking the rules but yeah I mean people should stop going you know I mean just you know uh, take after a, a bunch of famous names Woody Woody Allen for example you know he has no respect for it whatsoever he's like sure give me an Oscar I don't care I'm not going yeah well going back to the Cisco review there's one movie that he compared this to in that review, which I was kind of shocked that he would, first of all, that they would review the movie on the show. I mean, maybe it's a little more respected than I thought it was, but the movie was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Have you ever heard yes. of that movie? No, I haven't, but I'm going to watch it. You, Yeah, you'd probably like it. It's, it's well, it's pretty brutal. Really brutal. The main star of the movie is Michael Rooker. That was that's what made him the actor he is today. That's um, that's how uh, you know he was recognized. Like as soon as casting directors saw that movie, they're like, "Oh my god, we gotta get this this guy to audition for this." And then he did Eight Men Out. He um, he well, you know who Michael Rooker is. He was Merle in The Walking yeah. Dead. Yeah. Yep great actor but yeah I, I thought it was interesting that they compared it to that movie because that's that's a really gritty um pretty realistic i i mean at least it feels like you're watching more of a documentary it doesn't feel like you're in the the movie world when you're watching that you feel like you're you're there for the most part so, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, they they spoke about how this didn't really create a believable world that you know they portrayed serial killers uh, in a totally unnatural light, which is weird to kind of put your head in that type of mindset to say that oh, I don't believe these serial killers. <laughs> you know, uh, I I think uh, the performance Anthony Hopkins gave was riveting, and I think nobody can argue that point. So I I don't understand where his you know, distaste for this movie came from. Yeah. And it's interesting that we, uh, we kind of like Hannibal, right? Like we don't hate him. We, That's an interesting point to make. Yeah. I'm almost rooting for him when he get, when he breaks out. Is that weird? Yeah. Cause he's a charming guy. I mean, yeah, he ate some people, but he's, he's charming. <laughs> It's, he, it's, he ate a census taker. Big whoop. They're annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With some fava beans. No, I mean, um, it's removed from the story. We don't see it until he breaks out. And, you know, I don't think we really have a problem with him breaking out until the cops bust into where his cage was and see, you know, the suspended man hanging there with all these, like, weird imagery. Uh, with all this weird imagery uh, surrounding it. And that, you know, strikes us as evil, and this guy should probably not be on the street. Um, but at the same time, we know him personally uh, at this point. We feel like we get to know him really well. 
uh, in his time with Clarice, even though he really doesn't speak about himself very much. <laughs> no, yeah, we don't know too much more about him. And the cops in this movie, most of them aren't portrayed that great. Like, a lot of them are pretty sexist. And also, why are all those cops in the funeral home when she comes in? Did they really all want to see that body? They were probably all involved in the recovery. Oh, okay. I was like, are, are all these, like, people perverts or something? Ugh. Jesus. Like, why are they all here? Like, They're definitely all sexist. See, yeah, why would you want to see that? Um, it's actually a moment I didn't realize from my, you know, previous uh, views of this film uh, was the talk that Jodie Foster gave to... Uh, her captain yes uh, at fbi yes i couldn't remember his name um how she mentions that his behavior matters it doesn't matter what your intention was that the little facial expressions he makes his treatment of her matters and that it affected all the cops in that room and uh, i think that that's a good moment and something that uh was before its time thinking about 1991 Certainly was, certainly was. That aged uh, pretty well. I'm glad they had that little moment. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Speaking about Anthony Hopkins' performance, I had read that Daniel Day-Lewis was in consideration for the role of Hannibal the Cannibal. And I, my interest is peaked there. I'm trying to put Daniel Day-Lewis in that role. And as much as he's killed every other role that he's had, he would have uh, literally killed people for this. Hilarious, right? I was <laughs> trying to explain actor. that. He, yeah. <laughs> He's been eating people on set. No, I mean, I think he would have been a, a very interesting choice. Uh, I'm glad we got Anthony Hopkins' performance, but I, I'd like to see his his audition tape, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that, yeah, that, that probably would have been a little too much. Yeah, this is like the... The career-defining performance for Anthony Hopkins. This is what he's really going to be remembered for. And That's true. If you told him that in the 80s, that, oh, they're going to remember me as a, a cannibal serial killer, he'd probably be like, wait, what? I'm a serious actor. What do you mean? I can't do a British accent. So they, wow, um, we should be calling him Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir. You just reminded me. Oh my gosh, we are sorry, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Call me Sir. God. If I was a knight, I would insist upon it as well. Yes. So he actually wasn't the first actor to play Hannibal. They did a movie in the '80s called Manhunter, and it had Hannibal Lecter in it. I've actually never seen that movie. Yeah, I, it's one of those that I own but have never seen. You own it, really? Yeah, I bought the 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 set, you know. Oh, okay. The Hannibal set. I mean, come on. Iconic films. Oh yeah, no, it definitely is. I didn't realize they would even include that movie since Anthony Hopkins wasn't in it. Right. Also, uh, listening to past podcasts, uh, I think it should be a interesting drinking game your your listeners can play. Every time I say iconic, take a drink. You might end up in a hospital. <laughs> Just saying, it's it. That's out there. No, it, it'd be worse if uh, you hear me saying, um, every time I'm <laughs> take a drink for that. Um, 
(laughs) 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 So, how about we talk about Buffalo Bill a little bit? Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about, but we talked about Clarice Hannibal. I think he's the third guy that raises a lot of questions, and you need to... You need to mention him in the movie. Yeah, let's dive in. A little different from Hannibal. Very, very, very bizarre person. I completely forgot about the uh, the tucking of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, the dance. Yeah, I completely forgot. I, that's one of those things that you think you would never forget that the first time you see it and somehow i was able to block it out of my mind i don't know if i'll be able to do that this time though no i mean to be honest with you i I think i saw jay and silent bob do that scene (laughs) before i saw silence of the lambs so it really uh enriched my jay and silent bob viewing experience to see the original uh masterpiece yeah my god so that was Ted Levine. It's Buffalo Bill. Very, very creepy. Very creepy. Absolutely. I mean, he killed that role. What an odd role to try to portray. And what I'll say is looking through his IMDb page, he really didn't let that piece of... Uh, that piece of stardom affect his career. He didn't like let that consume his image. You know, he's he's gone out and done tons and tons of of film and tv definitely transformed his uh uh persona as to not get typecast you know he didn't want to just keep getting roles as a creepy serial killer guy um and he succeeded you know he's been in lots of family roles too yeah he's been a bunch of different movies pretty good character actor plays cops a lot i think he was an american gangster actually i know he was in the hills of eyes the remake Sure. Another messed up movie, <laughs> but yeah, he did. He did a great job. Oh my god, that dungeon was super, super creepy. And, uh, yeah, that was an actual house. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think they filmed a lot of stuff in Pennsylvania, actually. Yeah, um, on the very west edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even the music he's listening to. That, I think that might have been like a, a kind of a hit. Goodbye horses. Back then, but it, I mean, if it wasn't if it wasn't before, it it is now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, they have a little bit of Tom Petty at the beginning as well. American. Girl. They do the abduction oh, scene. Yes. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> Gotta say, she killed it. That was her best scene. tough to see um i think the scariest scene was actually when clarice was in the house and the lights go out um, because you see the uh the perspective of buffalo bill from the night vision models yes you realize like oh wait night vision this is definitely from buffalo bill's perspectives and he's like right there watching her 
it's almost like Heisen Killer right away. But I, I thought that was pretty freaky because, you know, it doesn't register with you right away that it's Buffalo Bill watching her from that angle. You have to be like, oh, well, it, it has to be. Who else? Who else would be looking at her with night vision goggles? Yeah, I would say you're you're correct in bringing up the point of view shot. I mean, I gotta disagree. Watching Jodie Foster's acting there, it's a tough scene <laughs> to portray. Okay, like you know, all right, act like you can't see shit, and definitely don't move your hands in this specific direction. Don't touch, you know, the the way the camera's pointing. But you know, feel for everything around you, everywhere else. I mean, it was it was comical for me to watch. Um, but, uh, I would say that the point of view shot was definitely used in really interesting ways in this movie. A lot of eye to eye contact. Um, I would say reaction shots, uh, comprehension shots, uh, and close-ups were used like uh, it, it, the scene right before the dance, or I guess at the start of the dance scene, where we start getting progressively wider and wider shots. So we start and we're looking at a necklace, we're looking at eyeliner being put on, we're looking at a nipple ring, and it's like we're it just little pieces of information. We haven't seen Buffalo Bill's face yet, and I, I just, I've got to give props to that scene if we're talking about camera shots or you know decision of what shots to use. I think that that definitely was the most interesting uh set of shots that really drew me into trying to figure out what the hell's going on as much as i don't like seeing you know a straight up nipple ring shot okay i was like where the hell are we what <laughs> what are we watching right now and you know it turned out to be this this drink iconic scene yeah it's funny um, because it's there's probably all these people in the movie theater back in 1991 who have never seen stuff quite like this on film. I mean, these are people who probably never saw like Cannibal Holocaust or those crazy kinds of movies, that exploitation movies that came out in the 70s, 80s, whatever. So this is kind of <laughs> shocking to a lot of people, I'm sure. Seeing these oh, yeah. graphic dead bodies, that's probably what stirred up the hype for this movie for the most part that and Anthony Hopkins I'd say I'd say that's why this movie has uh, has held up mainly Anthony Hopkins I'd say but it's also just a really well done movie all in all definitely good planning uh, you know props to Demi for uh, all the choices that he made <clears throat> and I think that he tried to separate this guy from what you would consider to be a normal uh, transgender community uh, member you know, by making him also apparently a white supremacist. I mean, those things don't jive. Yeah, that's I mean, right. It, Nazi symbols. I think he had a bed sheet with Nazi symbols on it. He did, and, you know, he had a collection of newspapers and posters uh, that were kind of in the same vein. And I just don't... I think that Demi did everything that he could to separate uh, this character from, you know what you would consider to be your typical transgender demographic uh, community member. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And besides the fact that he's a fucking crazy serial killer, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think they were just angry that 
um, there weren't too many uh, transgender people portrayed in movies, and then they finally get <laughs> one in a big movie, and yeah, he's a serial killer. It's uh, you know kind of unfortunate, but um, nowadays uh, we have them. Uh, they they have a TV show, Transparent. Great show. Won a lot sure. of awards. Uh, well, what uh, what else stands out to you? Anything? Well, the amount of money it made. Um, <laughs> uh, it, what a fantastic uh, investment of nineteen million dollars. Yeah. It it has grossed over two hundred and seventy million dollars globally. Yeah, and that's just this movie. It's basically created the franchise for the most part, and there's been plenty of other movies that have made even more money. It's one of the biggest movies that MGM ever made. That's nuts. And Orion. Orion was the one who, I guess, determined that this movie was going to come out in the first half of the year because they wanted to clear the way for Dancing with Wolves, Dances with Wolves, later that year uh, during awards season. Um... One other thing I wanted to mention is Jodie Foster's epic career. You know, it's like in the last 10 years, she's put out just a handful of films. But, uh, you know, for over 20 years, she was, you know, putting out one to four films every year uh, since her career started. Uh, having already been an Oscar award-winning uh, actress before this movie and you know, winning another Oscar with this one, she grew into, I, I guess, a hell of a director. Uh, I didn't even know this until, you know, recently... Uh, she directed an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, did she really? Was it one of the she, newer seasons? Uh, yes, it was the Archangel episode. Oh, that's so cool. Um, she directed two episodes of Orange is the New Black. Oh, wow. She directed an episode of uh, The Loop, if you are familiar with the Amazon series. No, I haven't seen that yet. I know she's and much more. She's in this... Uh, new movie about um, it's from the director of Last King of Scotland uh, Scott Donald directed it it's about this man who was in uh, Guantanamo Bay for many years I, I'm not sure what uh, what role she has in that but um, I, I listened to uh, a podcast with Scott McDonald recently and he was talking about how he worked with her and uh, you know how, how different it was uh prepping with an actress like her because she likes to you know hammer out a lot of choices details before shooting and scott mcdonald is kind of like oh whatever happens happens you uh you gotta be in the moment and uh you know if if uh, the scene's going this way you know you gotta lean in towards that and forget about everything you prep for for the most part right Oh, I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, uh, still still at it. Anthony Hopkins is still at it. Uh, not so much Scott Glenn. Who <laughs> it's kind of a forgettable movie for Scott Glenn. Well, like yeah. a forgettable role, not movie. I would concur, but it's all it's also nice to have somebody who's not trying to be a chief. You know, they're fine to just be a member of the cast <laughs> and deliver a passable role. Like, he never took me out of the film for poor acting. <laughs> All right, yeah, we're uh, getting a little off track now. But, 
But anyway. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, 30 years ago, I'm sure there was at least a few couples who went to see this on Valentine's Day 30 years ago and were absolutely horrified, which <laughs> makes me so happy. I wish I could interview those people and hear their experience because, you know, back then, there's, there wasn't the internet. You had no idea what you were about to see. They probably thought they were seeing, uh, you know, Kojak or something, and it's uh, what we get. You Entirely see. possible. But you know what? I, I got to say this. Horror horror movies or thrillers are everybody's like, you know, it's like a little secret, you know, that you, you take a chick to a horror movie and you, you grow your relationship. <laughs> you find yourself, uh, you know, uh, embracing each other in the, move, in the middle of this scary movie. Uh, you know, nice first date moment. Anyway, that's me. Back to you, Sam. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs, 30 years old. Uh, watch it tonight, or don't. We understand if you don't want to watch it on Valentine's Day. But thank you should. You, thank you for coming on, Brian. Till uh, till the next 90s movie, I'd say. Anytime, Sammy. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs>